Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hey everyone, this is BT and welcome to Inside the Episode. Today, David and I are going inside serious questions you should ask yourself in your lifetime. And there's 10 questions we're going to run through here. And uh, it was good. These are good questions. I think they, they are. Yeah. They stumped me on a few. They st- a few of them stumped me. Um, even though I feel pretty confident on the path I'm taking, there's always room for growth and opportunity. So I'm glad you brought us this series of questions. What was the inspiration? Like, where where did these questions come from? Were you pulling from your catalog when you were first starting out? Is it years and years? Do you have a reference point? Like, where did this idea come from and why now? So, you know me, I'm always going through a biography or always. a documentary. And I love that about you. And I just got done doing a deep dive on Gordon Lightfoot's. I'm currently in that dive. Okay. Um. I was I I I mean I've always loved his music. I grew up listening to his music, um, and I stumbled across the the documentary. I think it's on iTunes. It's on uh, iMovies or whatever. So I watched it, and I was very intrigued. There were things that I had no idea, and I started to learn. And so then that was it. It opened the door. I got to do a dive. What else is available? So I find his biographer, um, and I and I I read through the book once, listened to it. I went on a trip over the weekend. So I had about like a four hour drive when I listened to it. And then I was staying at a resort where I had a lot of downtime and I was listening to it. And I managed to, I managed to finish it. And as I was listening to it, there were questions that were going on in my mind. I'm like, what am I taking away from this, um, from his biography? And the, the thing was, was that his, you know, okay. So he was not a mega star. Right. right, he was very successful. He, mega stars have covered his work. He's one of the like Bob Dylan is considers him like one of the best songwriters ever. Um, and he had his ups and downs, but they really weren't that bad in comparison to a lot of other stars that were out there. But here was the thing that really kind of intrigued me: he had an opportunity to become a megastar they could have turned him into a megastar and he didn't want to. He knew what he was the best at and he was fine with that. His ego did not get in that way. Yeah, he had a drinking problem. Yeah, he was a womanizer. You know, he had those things. He corrected those things in his life. Um, he's, he's, he still believes that he's making atonement for, you know, some of those things. But what I was really impressed with was, was Lightfoot's focus. He had an incredible focus on what he was able to do. I mean, he's such a prolific songwriter. And he did not get stuck, and they addressed this. He did not, he did not get overly intrigued by the idea of having to be bigger than he was. He just loved playing his music. So I started thinking to myself, how did he maintain that? Like, how did he know that? And if you, if you, of course, if you listen to, to documentaries and different pieces of work around a person, you start to pick up little tidbits here and here and there, here and there. And what I picked up was that um, he must have been asking himself different questions inside of himself that, that caused him to come to answers that made more sense for him, right? So if you think about it, he was right on the edge 
all he would have had to do was to change his style of music a little bit, and he could have been, excuse me, much bigger than he was. But he also didn't want to. There was no real desire to do it. As a matter of fact, there was this one comment about how uh, one record company wanted to move him to San Francisco and have him change the music a little bit, be not so Canadian, you know, because he's like he's revered in Canada. He's right. a, he's a big thing in, in Canada, and 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 rightfully so. Like Canada is a very proud country. And he said in the in the documentary, I stepped out of being Canadian just for a couple of minutes, and apparently, he didn't like it. He didn't, you know, he knew all the big pop stars, and he just did not really want to go down that road, and he still had a lot of fun. So I started thinking to myself, what would have been the questions that went on in his mind to make these decisions? And then the other thing that intrigued me was that the things that he did to help people, he had a tremendous value system of helping other individuals, people that, that society had turned their back on, people that had really screwed up their lives and got in trouble. And he was the kind of guy where he, he gave and didn't ask anything in return. He gave because he could. You know, he would have his company send a check, like, just get this guy out of trouble, whatever he did. You have to read the biography. I'm not going to repeat. I'm not going to repeat the stories. But they're all in there. Um, and I thought, you know, in order to maintain that kind of focus, you have to ask, you have to ask good questions about who you are and really be solid in those answers, you know, because life throws different things at you that, well, I mean, they could be major problems, they could be temptations, they could be things that feed your ego, um, and not necessarily in a good way, and then take you into a really, really bad place. And that didn't seem to happen for him. He maintained his art and the quality of his art through his entire career, even with his own ups and downs. And he, even with his even with his drinking problem, because he was a pretty bad alcoholic for, for a good period of time, he also knew the limits of that. And he would do things to recenter himself spiritually, physically. Like if he put on weight, he would go on these 600-mile canoe trips and he would strip the weight off and get really fit, get his head clear, no drinking, get back in the studio, do what he had to do, go on tour, and then he would party a bit. And then he would come back and, and straighten himself uh, out again and eventually he gave it up. So as I was thinking about it and I was thinking about content for today's episode, I was thinking to myself, what what is it about about Lightfoot that made the difference overall. And I was thinking to myself, he had to have really solid questions, really solid answers to major questions, whether they were values or purpose or whatever in his life to maintain that. And the other thing that I, that I found that was pretty cool was that just about everybody that talks about him talks about him as we were being like an amazing stand-up guy. He had, yeah, he had a few problems, but who doesn't in life? Like we right. all have something. He was a really stand-up guy. So he had to have a sense of moral compass or purpose compass or like who I know who I am. And even though I think he probably found that out over time, there is some evidence that he got that from his family. He was raised pretty strict Presbyterian in his life. Um, he was raised in a, in, a, in a city that's just outside of, of Toronto. Uh, Canada in nature is a more conservative uh, uh, peoples. And I think that all of that, you know, caused him to look at life a little bit different. So then I started thinking to myself, well, what were the questions that I started to ask that at first very much challenged my life because they weren't not the questions that I was raised with? Um, 
that probably in some form or fashion are in his head. And I came up with a few and I added a few. And I added them so that here's the questions. I don't know his. These are all mine. These aren't his questions. But they were questions that I thought that he must have a solid answer to in his life to keep it on the road that it's still on today. I mean, he's in his 80s and he's still he's still producing. So yeah, that's where it came from. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's the benefit of, um, you know, paying attention when Steph listens to you, passes along to me, because we too watched the documentary last week and um, have gone down a Gordon Lightfoot rabbit hole. Because to be honest with you, he was a little bit before my time. Mm, yeah. um, even And I grew up in a household that wasn't really musical. We didn't listen to a lot of music. Um, Steph had a different experience. She knew some of what Gordon Lightfoot was all about. But watching the documentary, um, I was really impressed with how he threw himself into his work. And I think I see kindred spirits. It's no, it's no coincidence that you were drawn to him because you guys are both studiers. Like he is an intense studier. Seeing that guy do notation, you know, I've seen lyricists, you know, I understand people write songs, yeah. but this guy was doing the whole thing. Yeah. He was lyricizing, he was notation, amazing and yeah. impeccable. You could see the the amount of time and energy he went in. And what, another thing I liked about the doc was nobody, they said at times he could be difficult to work with, but he wasn't a tyrant. Like right. he wasn't, he was a stand-up guy and you said that, which I love because he was a guy who would give you the shirt off his back, literally. He would pull you out of the gutter and give you a job in the club or do whatever it would take to help you on your way. But he also demanded from his band. Excellence. He demanded from yeah. himself excellence. Yeah. And I think it's really cool that that sort of, guy exists in our lifetime and exists on the fringe for the most part. Like there's people growing up nowadays who don't even know who Lightfoot is, right? But if you go back and look at the influence he had on music and the people that covered his his songs and just the lyrics, like if you strip away the music and just read the lyric, it is some of the most magnificent poetry you'll ever see in your life. It's so crazy and I love it. And I'm I'm only, you know, like a third of the way through the through the book, because as I'm sitting there watching the documentary, I'm on Amazon downloading or rather purchasing the book to have it shipped. I've gotten into this phase where I'm not listening to the books as much I'm reading them. So I'm currently reading that book and it's absolutely outstanding. But let's get back to the question. So I love that you created these and I kind of want to go through each one and just talk a little bit about, you know, why it's important to answer this. What how difficult it would be because I think the one thing that you said in the in the episode was you got to really think about these. You can't just go with your first answer. I think that's one thing that I've learned in actually the the therapy that I'm a part of. It tells you not to believe the first answer to the question. You got to dig a little deeper. Right. And I love that you said that. And why is that? Like, why do we not take our first answer the first time and put a little bit more thought into it? Well, generally, because if you don't know yourself, the first answer is going to be based on what you currently believe or the reality that you're experiencing. When I I don't think these are the exact questions that that I came across when I first started. But there were questions that were similar sure. to this that I heard and I don't remember where I heard them. It was one of the cassette tapes that I had been listening to at the time. And when I I didn't have answers to a lot of them. Like well like the fir- um the first one, what's the most important thing to me and why? I couldn't answer that question. I mean it was well the most important thing is my family. I gotta go to work every day. Like what, you know, what else is important besides that? I was also raised with the idea that family is the most important thing. But I had a feeling that by at like by the person who would be asking that question, 
that there's a possibility of another answer there. You know, I mean, if you already know that your family is the most important thing, but you're miserable or things aren't working, there's something wrong in the way you're asking the question or what you consider the answer to be. So if we, we, if we, and then like I even mentioned in the podcast, there was something that I picked up from Tony Robbins years ago. And he was like, the quality of your questions is the quality of your life. If you want a better life, ask better questions, right? And, as, and I didn't understand that at the time, but it's really true. If you keep asking the same dumb question, your mind's going to give you the feedback that it only knows. It doesn't have any, it doesn't have any resource to pull from. So if you ask the question, you don't like the answer. Now it's time to find out how do we get to a different answer. It's not just accept the answer that's there. There's something else going on because these are answers that will move your life forward. If you have, I'm sorry, these are questions that will move your life forward. If you really search for a deeper answer inside of yourself. And I do believe with every question that I gave, I really kind of went through this, that there is a deeper answer for every single person that they can pull out without having to go somewhere else to get it. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. First question, what is the most important thing to me in my life and why? Second question, what am I willing to sacrifice for what is important to me? I think sacrifice sometimes gets a negative connotation. Um, Anytime we make a decision, you said we sacrifice something else. It's the truth. It's when you make a decision, something else gets dropped. Uh, There's nothing gained in life without the sacrifice of something else. I mean, you said a ton of things in the episode, um, sacrificing something of a lower nature for that of a higher nature. Um, And you said for you, it meant engaging in a seven-year sacrifice, seven years of study, that led you to doing uh, tremendous amounts of work on yourself and through all the the reading and and whatnot. Um, You said you even sacrificed like music, um, a lot of television, like all these sorts of television, things. Television, mu- mu- uh, movies, music. And, and the reason behind that being what? Just just completely stilling your mind or what well, was that? So, so if you go back to my story in the beginning, the problem was I needed an education, but I was working six and a half days a week and I didn't have the time or the money to get an education. So I break out of that a little bit. However, I'm still working a tremendous amount. So now it's like I'm, I need to find a way to educate myself um, somewhat in order to be able to move my life forward because I knew that that I had I made this move but I was not going to continue because I was still driving a truck you see I was just making three times the amount of money that I was at a different company so while it was a great break it was the same skill set now I needed to educate my mind so that I can become more valuable to an employer and I also realized in the I mean one of my greatest realizations was that my change of attitude is what gave me that break. So it was kind of like, I need to find out as much about myself first, right? And then expand upon that. So I had limited time, but I looked at, okay, if I'm going to do this, where is my time? Where's the time for me to be able to do this? I had a hundred mile drive to work every day. So that's 200 miles round trip. That's a tremendous amount of time in the car. I could either be listening to the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin or whatever I would be listening to because that was my music. Or I could shut that off and be like, I'm just going to put this away for a while. I need to figure me out first and then I can come back to all that stuff. So yeah, I gave up music. I gave up fishing. I gave up going to movies. Um, I gave up almost every recreational thing that I did just for myself 
and only kept the things that were important to my family and my work. And that every minute of every day. And, and then it was a Walkman, you know, like a cassette tape. Sure. You know, it wasn't like an iPhone, right? But I carried it with me. And that's that's been my study practice ever since. Well, it's full immersion, right? You it's fully full immerse yourself. You know, it's just like when you want to learn to speak another language, go to the place yeah. and immerse yourself yes. in it. And then over time, you'll get it. Same is true. You got a three, four hours in the car every day. That's a lot of value time uh, that you could be doing something else, but you're listening to these tapes, you're taking it all in, and probably to the point where you hear it in your sleep as well. So there's a, yeah, yeah. a subconscious programming that's going on long before you're out of, the, long after you're out of the car, yeah. I'm sure. and in, in the Lightfoot documentary, you see that that's what he does with his life. When he would write, he would go away by himself, yes. lock himself in a room, a hotel room, a cottage, whatever, and he would stay there for a month, and he's just writing music, you know, like all out. When he's going to get healthy, it's immersion. Like he goes, it's not something like little. It was a 600-mile canoe trip. Like he takes himself out of the, the, the exposure to alcohol and really gets himself fit and healthy and so... I, you know, I mean, there's a bit of an extremist thing there, which is also part of my personality. Sure. So, but also the immersion thing works for me. I think because that's how I conditioned myself to do it. And I saw that parallel, you know, like you had mentioned before. Um, and I thought, you know, what are, what are the, what are the questions in this guy's mind? So that's, you know, yeah. I, again, I just wanted to reiterate that. Totally. Coming from someone like yourself, who's a seeker, but also a person who didn't like to study, you really conditioned your mind to get to that place over time. It's one of the biggest mysteries of my life, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, go from a place of like fucking hating, yes. you know, to pick up a goddamn book to I can't put them down. Like yeah. my library, you know, I just go pour through books and that totally. information like water. You like know? two weeks ago, Gordon Lightfoot wasn't even a conversation we would have had. And now we're having a conversation about him because you saw something, read something, went down a yeah. dive and here we are. Right. I love that. I think that's why your material is so timeless because stories are going to go on forever. Yeah. Stories will come out a new person will come into your awareness next week and we'll all be the benefit of it. It already has. I can, I can tell you what it is yet because I'm in okay. the middle of it, but okay. I'm already in the middle of a, another dive. Okay, perfect. See, you w went from one to the next and we're going to benefit from that, so I love it. All right, uh, the third question you asked, what purpose would I consciously trade my life for? I love that you said you're going to be spending a lot of time doing this. So you definitely, whatever your purpose is, you really want to make sure because you're trading a lot of time, you're trading your life for this thing. For you, you know, you kind of... I don't want to say stumbled into your purpose, but you kind of knew you wanted to make a big impact. When you talk about trading your life for something, when did that register with you that, okay, this is something I could do for the rest of my life and not even consider it work? Was that early on or is it something you grow into? No, or? no, it was not early on. It came, it's a good question. When did that show up? Um, when I was studying, I did not know that this is what I was going to end up doing. I was studying because I needed answers. I just needed answers. Again, like it, I needed piece. answers yeah. like I needed to breathe. What I didn't realize at any time during that study was that this was my purpose. Like, yeah, I was studying to get answers, but I was also studying because that was a thing I was naturally attracted to. It was the thing that I was naturally gifted at. It was the thing that I naturally wanted to do without anybody telling me to do it. Like, it was all the pieces fell into place. Like, a guitarist, they'll pick up a guitar and they do it for 15 hours a day because they love it. It's not work, you know? Where somebody else will be like, I can't get myself to fucking practice a goddamn guitar. As much as I want to be like Jimi Hendrix, I can't get myself to practice a guitar. And I was like that with almost everything in my life, except for this. 
this this information, this knowledge was like it was like a love relationship, you know. Um, so then, when 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 I started to this is hysterical actually. Like how do you how do you not make this connection? It had to be a couple of years before prior to me starting the company that I actually started looking at businesses. I knew that I wanted the freedom, that I had some entrepreneurial spirit, and I wanted to do that, and I couldn't find the right thing. And it was through a suggestion from my mentor um, that it was kind of like, oh yeah, oh I guess that is it, isn't it? Right? You know, part of it was that this all of the study and everything seemed so easy. And it meant a lot to me, but I really wasn't thinking about how much it would have meant to somebody else. You know, it, that part wasn't crossing over. I was very selfish in my study. Like it was all, I was just trying to figure me out. Yeah. yeah. So I did, I hadn't realized yet how beneficial or, and nor did I realize that I actually had a gift for speaking and being on stage and coaching and, um, you know, coming up with creative ideas for a business. Like I, I didn't know that I had that yet. So it took that bit of a challenge from my mentor to get me to step into that side of myself and then really see what I was capable of doing. Yeah. I mean, it was your oxygen. It, it's so it, amazing yeah. to me. It was like breathing. You yeah. can't get enough of it. And right. to this day, you've maintained that for the, the decades you've been in business. You maintain that quest and thirst for knowledge yeah. and the deep dives you do. I mean, it really rounds you out as an individual because you're still working to perfect you, even though we know the perfection is unattainable, you are always striving. And I think that that is, I mean, that leads to the fourth question. What do I really love? I mean, it was clear to you after you got that nudge from your mentor that, yeah, this is what I love to do. And I can actually make a really good living helping others right. do what I did. Yep. And I think, what do I really love is an amazing question because you talked about, you know, security, safety, and certainty become our value system. And a lot of times we default to the safety of things and we're going to go become this thing because maybe our parents told us we should become this thing or our friends told us we should become this thing. And then there's those other people that go the other direction and really contemplate, what is it that I love to do yep. and how can I get paid to do it? Yep, yep. I think that's important. There's a, there's a, a I don't remember if this was in the movie, in the documentary or if it was in the biography, um, but somebody's talking and they said about Lightfoot that what he really loves is being on stage playing his music. And there's no difference between him there and him in his normal life. You have the same person across the board that he's not playing a character up there where they then reference Dylan. And they were like, Dylan was a character. He was a created character for that specific purpose, but it's not who he really is as a human being. So it was, it was fascinating that they did that cross reference there because I totally got that. Like I, you know, I've been a Dylan fan forever, but you, you, I mean, most people know today that what Dylan created was a character, you know, Bob Dylan is a character. It's not even his real name. I mean, he, his name is Robert Zimmerman, you know, these guys from uh, sure. Minnesota, you sure. know, but he created, he created that character back in 1961. But with Lightfoot, it was, that's who he was head to toe, inside and out, it, it, to his core, that's the person that he was. Yeah, that's amazing. For those of you, you know, who want to go out and watch this doc, it's called If You Could Read My Mind. Definitely watch that. I loved it. Um, not knowing much about the history of this man, um, the humble Canadian that he was, he was incredible. And he was just pure. I've, I mean, when I was listening to him sing, just pure 
it almost brings you to tears yeah. actually when you're watching it and reading the book. The book is just called Lightfoot, and it's it's an amazing it's an amazing read as well. Nicholas Jennings, I believe, is the author. You're you're gonna yeah. love that as well. But um, yeah, just fascinating, fascinating to see. What do I really love? The security and safety piece. Uh, number five, the question you asked, what excites me? Um, oftentimes, there's some facets of guilt that might come along. You even said it in the, in the pod about, you know, we don't want to get too excited about a certain thing, uh, whether it's, you know, we feel guilty because we're outgrowing people. I think I went through this a little bit myself. You know, I was excited to go on this journey, but I also knew that I was leaving some people behind along the way. And that there's some tough decisions that need to be made um, because I fought a lot with, um, I'm, I was better than someone. I think I still deal with that a little bit to this day. But um, when I first came into this, it was like excited me like none other. It was like somebody turned the lights on after being a teacher and being so structured in what your day looked like to being able to, you know, help other people and be in your purpose. Sure. Thought it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. So what excited you early on in this? Was it, was it the messages you were getting? Was it the people you were meeting? Was it the mentor you had? Like, what was the excitement for you and how do you quantify that? The initial excitement was that I was watching my life change right before my eyes and it was changing so fast and so dramatically that it was blowing my mind every day. Like every day back then was like waking up at Christmas. It was like, what is going to change today? What is going to change today? And it was never anything bad. It was all great stuff. And I kept thinking to myself, this is incredible. How did I miss this for so long? And now it seems to be coming so easy, like without any effort. It's just, it's just showing up. It then changed to, I could help other people do this, right? At first, I thought I could help everybody. But then as I matured into that, I realized I could only help the people that really wanted to change. And now that's what excites me. Really being able to show someone who really wants to change how much fun and how great it can actually be and how easy it can actually be once you get past your own head. Yeah, when you loosen up a little bit and let it come because it will come. It's like drinking from a fire hose, like literally. I mean, you don't have to siphon anything. It just comes at you and it's effortless. I Mm -hmm. mean, and some people might say, well, that's not been my experience. Well, why are you getting in your own way? Right. I would challenge them with that. All right, a few more here and we'll wind it down. Am I having fun in my life? I think this is straightforward and simple. I mean, if you're not having fun doing something then why are you doing it? Exactly. I mean, that's the whole point. Exactly. I mean, not, not too exactly. much expansion needs to take place there. And I'll tell you, I've, I've had a hard time with that one. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, there were so many people, loved ones in my life that had a real issue with me changing that there was part of me that didn't want to show that I was having a good time around them. So you're bringing yourself down to that level. Yeah, because... It wasn't so. It wasn't even so much that they were having a hard time with it. They were giving me a hard time for having a hard time with it. Almost like you're doing this to me. Yeah. So for a long time, there were certain people that I would be around, and it would be like I need to dumb it down because, you know, it, it's just it's it's actually more painful to have a good time than it is to almost kind of faux act like, yeah, you know, it's hard and there's this and, sure, you know, that type of thing. So that was something I had to like, uh, you know, I had to play with that for a while. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. That's, I would not have expected that, but it makes total sense. It's resonating with me. I think yeah. I do the same thing at times too. I think many people who have reached a level of success, again, leaving people behind, you oftentimes will bring yourself down to their level to ease their pain instead of just owning who you are right. as a person. Right. Interesting. Um, I almost 
skipped over this next question, but I better just use it anyways, um, because I do not do well at this, is asking for help of value for me. <laughs> I do not like asking for help. And the thing that popped into my head was men and asking for directions. I don't know yeah. if we're hardwired to not ask for help as a male, you know, being the provider, all this like masculinity piece. But when I was thinking about is asking help of value, I would rather do it myself than maybe burden others with it. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, it's totally but it, my it's, ammo. it's something that's ingrained in us, you know. Um, you know, the thing about the asking directions, you're supposed to know where you're going, right? That's it's like, true. you know, what are you if you don't know where you're going type of thing. There's, there's a lot of challenges with it, but it's also the fundamental thing. It, like if you can... And it's not that you have to ask for help all the time. You don't have to be needy, but you have to have the ability to ask for help and know when to ask. Yeah, and I, I notice myself doing this not as much now, but I used to just agree with people all the time. Like they would say, oh, yeah, you know, I was driving over there on I-4. Do you know where uh, Cumberland Gap is? And I'd be like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know where the hell that is, but right. yet I would agree with them. And I caught myself doing it. And I said to myself, why do I do that? Because I do, I want people to be like, bring me in. I want them to feel a part of me. I yep. want them to not judge me. So I would just blindly agree with them. I've gotten to a place now where I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, can you, can you explain that a little yeah. bit better? So I, I don't know if that has to do with help, but at least it's recognizing a little bit in myself that you don't have to blindly agree with someone. If you need clarification, and you don't have to know everything. No, either. you don't right. ask for it. That's yeah. Number seven was a challenge. That's <laughs> a challenge for me. Um, do I believe I can change? If not, why not? Um, you know, if people don't want to change, then they're not going to. And if other people aren't going to change the way you're changing, then maybe that's not your people. Hate to right. say it. Um, number nine, how much money would I really like to earn and why? Do you, is that a specific number? Like, do we have to get really clear on the number? Or is it like, I don't think you can just say, I, I want to be wealthy. Like, you have to kind of, again, quantify how much well, that is. Well, I mean, even if you start off with that, I think I started off with that. You know, I started off with, I wanted to be wealthy, but I had no idea what the money was for. Sure. You know, it, 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 it probably... Um, if I dig back to that time, it probably have had to do with not having to worry about money again, to be able to spend whatever you want and never have to worry about it, which is a complete fantasy. Like that doesn't exist. But I think that as you mature into that question, what it does come down to is, is it, it gets you to look at like, well, what's the money for to begin with? Okay. If I want to live my life this way, what does that look like? Now, what does it cost to live that way? Which then leads to a more specific number in the answer. But it's a, you know, it's like, I'm just trying to crack the question open with people here yeah. because that's what kind of happened with me. I heard, I was listening to these tapes and stuff and, and I would listen to these different speakers and authors ask these questions or talk about a question that changed their life or whatever. And I would ask myself the question. And so many times either I had a very reactionary answer or no answer at all. Like I have no clue. I remember somebody, what do you want? I, I don't want anything. I'm fine. I don't need anything. I'm fine. No, you know, don't go there. I'm, I don't need anything. Right. And that's really where I was. It took a long time of keep asking myself, what do I want? What do I want? What do sure. I want? What do I want? And opening that door and allowing myself to want something again to come back to it, which then led to what did I need the money for, right? Yeah, I, I think that, that, that question in itself, you know, just what do I want? Like that, that question alone, you can spend hours pouring over that. Yeah. Because Steph will ask me all the time, what, do you, what, what is it that you want? And I struggle mightily just answering that question because I feel like there's so much that I want, yet I don't always feel worthy to ask the question. So I right. think just in asking it is a big step in the right direction for sure. It is. Love that. And then last but not least, do I have a dream? I mean, you know, 
Do I have a dream? What is it that I want to accomplish in this life? If a person goes through this list of questions and really quiets their mind and takes the time to answer them, I think, I mean, on the other side of that is just pure brilliance. Yeah, it is. And it also, again, it it also is uh, kind of teasing out, if I don't have a dream, why don't I have a dream? How come other people can have a dream, but I don't have a dream? Where is my dream? Where'd it go? What happened to it? Did I ever have one? A person has to start to go down that road with themselves before they find it. It's there. It's there. Chances are, what what happens with most people is that they get exposed to what that dream would be at some point in their life, even if it's just for a brief moment and something slams the door shut. And then they don't open it again because it's painful to open it. And then you get a distance from it and you start to forget what the thing even was or you're like, nah, that was ridiculous. You know, I, got, yeah. I can't, it's juvenile. I have to, not responsible. I have to be responsible. Sure. But the truth is if they dig into that dream, it will mature. It'll come to the surface and then they will be start, they will find that they're starting to be led toward the things that will manifest that dream. Yeah. And it's never too late. It's never too late. Never too late. I mean, you unless you're in the pine box, man. That's it's never true. Too late. That's true. I mean, we've got we've got a lot of of older men and women who come to your conferences who yep. are making huge changes in their life in their seventies and eighties. Yes. And in this whole like retirement thing we've talked about on the podcast, a lot of people want to say, well, I just want to get to 58 or 62 or whatever. These people are changing their lives yeah. in their eighties. I mean, it's never too late to start late. and you can start today. Oh, well, these 10 questions, I would, I'd listen to this. I'd transcribe it if I were you. <laughs> I would write these questions down. I would put them in a prominent place on your desk and I would ask them and answer them to the best of your ability and don't go with that first answer. These are really great, David. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks for coming inside. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.